All right, welcome to Everyday Parenting Podcast. Today I have two guests, um, and we are focusing on um, a follow-up from an article from the LA Times that Paul, who was one of our guests today, um, Paul Thornton, wrote. Um, and it, you know, the 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 commentary was the title was "Fentanyl Feels Like the Monster Coming for Our Kids." How do parents talk about um, this with uh, you know talk about talk about this with our children. And that, that's kind of where we're gonna focus our energy today. Um, I have Ed Ternan here, uh, who is visiting uh, on our podcast today. And he is also going to speak about his story about raising um, his child as well. And I'm, I'm gonna give the floor, the speaker uh, to two people here so they can give a little history of who they are. Um, and um, and talk, this is a, talking from the heart from two fathers. So, um, Paul, why don't you go ahead first? You're the one that kind of spurred this on <laughs> two mm-hmm. weeks ago when I got a, a message from Paul. Um, say, hey, Mary Beth, what, can I talk to you? So why don't you start, Paul? Because you, you started this whole thing. Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, and uh, first off, uh, Mary Beth, I'm always going to call you Mrs. Henry. I know, um, I know. <laughs> and I might even lapse to Miss Young occasionally. That, that's true. That is, yeah. that is the so, maiden uh, name. Uh, apologies yes. for that in advance. I, no I, worries. I was, no worries. Um, yeah. So uh, about uh, sometime last month, um, actually, um, as my situations often do, this started with a conversation with our, our, our children. And it happened because my wife came home from her work in Hollywood. She works at a school there and said that they had had a faculty meeting there um, because just down the street, a student at uh, a school in the Los Angeles Unified School District had um, tragically overdosed, been poisoned and died after taking a fentanyl pill that she thought was something else. Um, and my wife felt this was extremely urgent that we had to talk to our children about this. Now, my children are 10 and seven. Um, this was a conversation that we had planned potentially on having a few years from now, but given the nature of this threat, um, and it is a threat, um, we felt it was very important to inform our children, um, as soon as possible about this. So my wife, um, leaning very heavily, uh, Mrs. Henry, on the things that you had taught her in our parenting class, went into a conversation mm-hmm. about protecting our bodies, mm-hmm. um, about um, uh, putting things in our bodies that we only know what it is. And she spoke frankly about what happened at this school and that um, this student um, took something that she didn't know was deadly. Um, that she actually thought she was buying something else. Um, and she was very calm and our kids were wrapped. Uh, they, they, uh, they understood what she said when it was my turn to speak, I got a little more frenzied. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to get a little personal here. I, uh, come from a family where addiction, uh, has been a problem. Um, I, uh, myself, um, became addicted to alcohol um, relatively young in my 20s, and I stopped drinking in my early 30s when my children were born, and I've been sober um, since then. Um, so this is a deeply personal issue for me. Um, and uh, the but what makes this different is that you know when you drink alcohol, you the the alcohol content is written right on the can, um, unless you're drinking something out of someone's bathtub. It is, uh, it's right there. This, um, this, this 
this felt like it was coming for my children in some way, um, given my history and this new threat out there. Yeah. So I was a little less artful with my comments, and um, but I, I, I still think it got through to them, I hope. Um, but from that, I thought, wow, um, there are lots of resources on how to talk to your children about drugs out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But a lot of those seem geared toward preventing your children from becoming addicted. Um, this is the conversation we wanted to have was preventing our children from dying after just trying something. Yeah. Um, I thought of all the moments that I could have died when I was a teenager, potentially from experimenting, which I did. And I have uh, uh, very vivid memories of that. Um, so I decided to write about it for the LA Times. Um, and that's when I called you, Mrs. Henry. And uh, we had a, a very fruitful discussion that I can only write, include a snippet of, which, you know, that's just the nature of writing for a newspaper audience. You have to condense things down yeah. while doing your best to represent what someone actually said. But I thought what you said uh, told me about consent really stuck with me mm. about the, these are conversations that that stem from consent in an age-appropriate way. Um, and I felt my wife, actually, when she was talking about that, did that very wonderfully because she must have listened to you in your class, yes. Yes. Mrs. Henry. Yes. Um, and, you, you know, I, I was hoping to start a conversation to, to, to make hopefully some parents who don't have any experience with this empathize with um, uh, the student, her name is Melanie, Melanie's family. You know, Melanie thought she was taking a Percocet pill, yeah. which yeah. Um, is certainly concerning, but yes. she yes. did not give consent to put fentanyl into her body. And right. that, I, I, when I think about that, I, I think about how it didn't seem like there was there were many resources out there for parents to talk about this specific threat, this unique threat that um, frankly was not there when I was a teenager, when I was curious, when my friends were curious. And I immediately thought uh, when I heard about Melanie, how I could have died when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, or in my twenties, how my friends could have, how people mm -hmm. I cared deeply about. Um, and I, I hope this produces more conversations and frankly, just gives parents some practical advice for discussing a threat that I, I can't recall um, previous generations facing a threat like this. You know, maybe that's just short-sighted, I don't know. Um, but this, this, you know, there's, there's, we can think about this academically and what's, you know, and, you know, scratch my beard and consider what's the most artful way to talk to your children about this, but, I mean, this this feels akin to someone showing up with a gun and and threatening your child. Um, it, it it it's a whole different kind of threat. Mm -hmm. And um, and I you know I don't know if the way we talk about drugs is uh, the way I learned uh, in my recovery groups how we talk about addiction. If this can really match the threat that fentanyl poses. Um, and so, yeah, I, I wrote as a concerned parent, mm -hmm. hoping to start a conversation with this and, and hopefully engender some empathy for that 
poor girl, Melanie, who was poisoned by something she did not consent to have put into her body. Truly. And, and, and you said the other piece, though, too, is why, why was Melanie looking for, uh, mm -hmm. a, you know, why was she looking for this other piece? Um, you know, she was looking for Percocet, you know, why? And I mm -hmm. think that's the conversation we had as well, Paul, was, um, you know, we, we go we can go back to the 80s and look at the, the, the D.A.R.E. program, right, we, which we talked about, which I think is really historically important to look at because we've had we've had these threats. Right. This was developed uh, for a reason back then. Right. But and it was all about drug alcohol resistance education. Right. That's right. what that program was based on. And, you know, if, if it was done correctly, which I was trying to explain, if it was done correctly, there was more education on the resistance, right? Not, not, not this easy tagline that we're gonna head into here with all these schools, say no to drugs. It, this is not any about saying no to drugs anymore. This, it, it never was. Yes, that's part of it. But the big piece is why? Yeah. Why are we seeing an uptick, right? Of kids, um, very young, all, you know, all ages, even adults, why, you know, it, well, it's obvious why we're seeing an uptick. Look at our world, right? Look at what's, look what's going on. Like, I don't have to say too much about it. We all know what's going on, right? There's just way too much chaos. And with all this chaos is causing the core piece of who we are to be searching out for alternatives, to be searching out for finding out or to get supported, to find a, a quick fix, as we always do, right? Find something quick. I mean, if I can... I have a dime for every time my parent has called me and said, make this better, fix my child, right? Make <laughs> this better. Years and years and years and years of that, of, you know, but, but, and then waiting, you know, waiting to the last minute, right? We always wait to the last minute to get a diagnosis or let things go, which I understand as a parent. I'm a parent, right? We don't want our children to be labeled or to, to go through hard times and we try to make it better. But what we have to really look at is why did Melanie go and search for drugs? Now, then the second piece is, yes, why, you know, why is fentanyl now on the streets, right? And if I, and the question right now that is just bombarding me, just yesterday, I was at my eye doctor and he even brought it up to me. He says, Mary Beth, I saw the article. I did not know you were, this article was coming out. I was just reading the article because I have children and oh my gosh, you're in the LA Times and you're sitting here in my chair let me talk to you. So he, he did. And he said, I, you know, we talked for a long time, but he says, I just, the thing I just don't get is why, and, and it really makes logic. And I've had a long conversation with why do drug dealers want to kill their clients? Right. And that's the piece we have to look at the morality piece of where we are in our world today and where these drugs are coming from. And I know I'm not going to point fingers and do all that political piece, but why? Why are we kill Why are the drug dealers killing their own clients? They, they want to make money. That's what we thought, right? That's easy. Well, they are making the money, but they're but they're able to trick, right? They're able to use this as a tool and to trick people into thinking it's one thing to take another thing. And yes, fentanyl will kill, and we all know that. And the, so the question again is why? Why and what can we do about it as parents? Okay. And that's what I really want to look at today with, with two fathers here on this on this piece. But and I think, Paul, that's what you're looking for, too, is that consent piece, teaching our very young children. It's very different than talking to, to our older children, but it's all the same piece mm -hmm. is what you have power, what goes in your body. You have power who touches your body. You have power over your body. Let's work on that. Let's work on that as a family system. 
as a community system, as a school system. Um, you know, broke my heart to think the first reaction was let's get, you know, let's let's put back in, you know, immediately get all the schools stocked, right? With 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 what they need to combat fentanyl, right? To 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 you know pump more medicine into a child when they overdose. I get it. I, yes, thank you so much. But that is always the first reaction, right? Let's not really deal with the core issue. Let's just now give them to to take care of it after the fact, right? And that's my worry. Again, we're we're in that path again. So, Paul, thank you for sharing that. Let's continue the conversation, Ed. Please. Please take over right now, Ed, and tell us your piece here, and then let's let's talk. Yeah, thank you, uh, Mary Beth and Paul. I, I read your your piece with uh, uh, with interest. I thought it was very well done and very very timely. Um, boy, we've thrown a lot of things out of the table here uh, right at the outset, <laughs> um, and I think what I'll do is, is kind of divide it up into two buckets. One is what's different now about the drug landscape and the other is how do we talk to our kids about it yeah. um everything you have each said so far is right on point um now we know this personally because we lost our youngest son 29 months ago uh very early covid our son charlie was 22 year old college senior going to school up in the silicon valley at santa clara university mm. and he went on uh, on social media he had a notoriously bad back. And after, after living with us here for a couple of months in Pasadena, um, he decided to go back to campus, even though the campus was pretty much locked down, just to see his friends for you know, a little, you know, the last month before they all moved on to their, to their adult lives. You know? um, and so we saw Charlie, he was living with us for two months and we knew that he was not suffering from addiction that he was going through the same kind of malaise and, and concern about the new COVID world and what was gonna happen. Was he gonna be able to get a career started and all that kind of stuff. But he, he drove back up to school and his notoriously bad back was hurting after the long drive. And he went online and got what he thought was a Percocet and died after taking a single pill. Um, wow. So we learned this the hard way. Um, and we had never heard of this situation before. Uh, it's very much in the public, con public consciousness now, but at that time it was, it was a, an evolving process for us to do some research and find out, wow, this has happened to other families, and it's, it seems like it's picking up, mm -hmm. and the authorities know about it, and law enforcement and first responders are scared to death. They're seeing this, really, this hockey stick spike in drug poisonings, and yet Charlie didn't know. Uh, we questioned all his friends, and he was not a naive kid. You know, as you said, Paul, I mean, we have similar stories. You know, we come from a big clans, big family clans on both sides of my family with my wife and I. I'm in recovery seven years after from alcoholism. We talk very honestly and frankly in our family unit about drug use. And Charlie was a savvy college senior in a fraternity. He was a partier. He was down to have fun, and everybody loved him, right? but he thought he knew what he was taking and he'd had a back surgery a couple of years prior and he knew yeah. what Percocet did to him yeah. and he just yeah. wanted a relief from back pain. And we questioned all his friends and said, what did we miss? What did, you know, what was going on with him? And they all confirmed he was fine. He was happy. He was not depressed, suicidal. He was in love. He had a job on the line. He had back pain, self-medicated and died from it. 
So what's changed is, and, and I'll use your question, which we get all the time to kind of set the table. Why would drug dealers want to kill their customers? Yes. And right. the answer is that they don't. And one of the things we need to do, in my opinion, after taking two years to do a deep dive into this topic is we need to reframe the war on drugs mm -hmm. and talk about it more like a business issue because that's what it is. That's what Our it adversaries is. are business people. That's right. They happen to be heavily armed business people, but ultimately they want to make money. And what they discovered, and I won't go into the whole history of the opioid crisis, but as we crack down in this country on the overprescribing of legitimate prescription medications, yes. and it made it more difficult to divert them from the white market to the black market, the drug trafficking organizations figured out we can produce fakes and we can steal the intellectual property of the pharmaceutical companies and stamp them to look real. I mean, you can't tell the difference no, whether it's an Oxy or a Xanax or a Perk. Yeah. And we will meet the demand in, in North America for opioids, especially among young people. This is the generation that we started medicating. If That's you right. were born in the late That's 90s, right. That's right. You know, That's right. by the time these kids go to college, 40% of their friends have a prescription bottle in their backpack or in their locker. They're used to pills. They share them. Yep. Adderall for studying, you know, Xanax for chilling and watching Netflix and, and playing video games. It's it just as common as lighting a joint was when I was coming up in the, in the 70s and 80s. Yep. So the bad guys know this. They exist to meet that demand. And what they found with fentanyl is a better mousetrap. Because it doesn't come from a plant and you don't have to grow the opium plants and harvest the opium poppies and pro process the poppies into gum and then distill it down to heroin and then ship these bricks of heroin in, into the United States. This, you can get the same amount of doses that you would get in one of those bricks of heroin we see in the DEA seizures all the time, you know, mm -hmm. duct tape yes. rack, yeah, brick looking yeah. things, kilos of heroin, a little baggie of fentanyl produces as many doses. The problem is when you take such a potent raw material and spread it across a batch of pills, it's impossible to get the dosing right. Mm -hmm. So they certainly don't, the way I try to put it again, in, it look, trying to get in the drug traffickers mind of making money, they're not trying intentionally to kill our kids or kill our users, okay. but they okay. don't really care if yeah. some people die. They And as the whole drug landscape moves from plant-based organic substances as raw materials for cocaine, alcohol, marijuana, yeah, yeah. you know, heroin, they all open, you know, ultimately plant-based. Mm -hmm. The new seismic shift is that's all shifting to these lab-produced chemical bases as the raw materials for these drugs. And if you buy heroin in the inner city in San Francisco or Philadelphia or something someday, there's very little heroin in that mixture. And there are probably eight or 12 raw materials. And it includes xylazine, which is a horse tranquilizer, and some benzos, and a lot of fentanyl, maybe two or three different analogs of fentanyl. It's not really heroin. So the old kind of buyer-seller relationship that used to exist back in the day where, you know, if I wanted to buy some weed for you and you sold me oregano, I'm really dating myself now, <laughs> you know, you'd be in big trouble, you know, because you yeah, sold me something right. that I didn't ask for and you ripped yeah. me off. Yeah. These yeah. days it's common, it's, it's common practice. Yeah. It, they don't even call it, necessarily call it heroin anymore. They call it down. 
Here's a baggie of down. That's what you're yeah. looking for. What's in it? Eh, I don't know. So the drug traffickers are trying these different formulations to give the xylazine, the horse tranquilizer, counteracts the fact that fentanyl comes on much stronger than heroin more quickly, but then wears off faster. Mm -hmm. The xylazine gives it legs in quotes and extends the high a little bit more. So you've got these amateur keyboard chemists searching the dark web for raw materials, coming up with these chemical concoctions and selling them on the street. And essentially our children and the US drug consumer are kind of like their lab rats. You know, eventually they might get the dosing more equal in these pills, but in the meantime, thousands of people are dying. And to them, it's, it's just kind of breakage. It's the cost of doing business. So that's the world in which our kids are, are living today. So you are both right, really on the right track. We need to rethink how we describe the drug landscape and we need to reimagine the drug talk around the kitchen table that we have with our children. Mm -hmm. I think starting as young as you are, Paul, is the right answer. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to do move away from the scare tactics and talk about things like you mentioned, Mary Beth, the consent. Um, it, we spoke to a lot of experts about how to communicate directly to kids because that's our strategies to get, reach them on social media and cut out the middleman and just tell the kids what this is going on. Yeah. And um, we have to earn their trust. So we know that scare tactics don't work uh, because as soon as you tell someone that, you know, marijuana leads to heroin and then they go to high school and their kids are smoking pot and everybody seems okay, you've lost them. Exactly. Right? Well, so, and, and, and Ed, too, can I throw in there, too, that the kids are seeing their parents use it regularly around the house, too, and they're fine, right? They're fine. They're going to work. They're, right. they're, they're functioning, right? Right. And, and, and I use that same example. I had a, a parent recently that, you know, their, 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 their young child was hoarding Diet Cokes in, their, in the bedroom because, you know, the, they, the parents drank Diet Coke all the time, and right? That, that kept them awake, and I want to stay awake, and I don't want to go to bed, and, you know, it's yeah. that same piece. It's like, what? you know, what is happening, you know, with marijuana and in the home. And I'm, and, and, and that's the whole piece too. We got to look at that, that, you know, what, yeah. what are we using around our children? You know, are we popping Tylenol? Are we popping Advil? Are we popping what, you know, what are we showing our children again? It's back. Yes. Yeah. So I'm sorry, but yeah. No, no. And, and you're exactly right. And I think, um, and I'm new to this and I'm not an education expert, um, but the people we've spoken to, I'm coming to the conclusion that I think what we what would work would be to take the conversation up a level. So often we talk about drugs, mm -hmm. but we don't acknowledge in this country that the line we think there's this really hard, thick black line between legal medicines and illegal drugs. Well, these counterfeit pills have really blurred that line, right? They really have and, blurred. And yes. when you think yeah. about it, heroin used to be legal. And marijuana was illegal. Yeah. Now heroin's illegal, but marijuana is increasingly legal. So it's a blurry line. We make mm -hmm. value judgments as a society about what substances we will make legal. And it's the pharmaceutical industry's job to produce and regulate those substances. The Mexican cartels exist. Their business model is basically, hey, the ones you guys decide are going to be illegal, we got those. <laughs> we'll produce and distribute those. Yeah. And so I think it's a matter of talking to our children about as we grow up, we all are going to have to come to some accommodation with substances, what we put in our body, whether it's caffeine, 
whether it's Tylenol. And we started having the conversation about sister is getting Tylenol because she's running a fever. That's what Tylenol's for. You don't get any. That's you right. don't have a fever. You don't need it, right? It starts really that young. It starts even with food and like Diet Coke yes. is a perfect example. Yes. Yes, you know, there's is. things in Diet Coke, son, that will make you stay awake. It affects your body that way. That has these impacts. You have to be careful about when you drink that and how much and start to have these conversations and demystify the whole thing and take the moralizing of this one's bad, the, these are okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because the ancient saying is the po the dose is the poison, right? And, and fentanyl in a, in, in a medical clinical setting is a miracle pain reliever. It's really, really good. Mm -hmm. But this illegally made stuff is so inconsistent and so difficult to dose that these kids don't know what, what you can't tell how much is in, in any of these pills. Um, so it, it's, a, I think it's about relating to kids and giving them number one, some credit for being smart enough to take this information in and say, it's, it's not about moralizing and drugs are bad. It's about some of these drugs are really, really tricky. They're really dangerous and you need to, they're only used in the right context. Right. And any, any pill you get on the street that doesn't, these pills, some of them can be very good for you, but they need to come from your doctor. Exactly. Right? exactly. And if you get them on the street, it's not what you're looking for. Exactly. Yeah, and that's the same piece that we we teach children about their bodies, right? About someone touching their body. You know, no one should be touching your body in, in, in a, you know, under your bathing suit area, right? Unless it's a doctor with, with, with your parent there or your parents, right? And it's the same consent piece that I, Paul was talking about. And that's kind of what I would use that with him. But this is the same piece. We have to teach children again, that, you know, what, what is going into their body and, and educate them about food, educate them about drugs, educate them about, you know, who gives us prescriptions and, and where do they need to come from? And, 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 and that was, that was Charlie, right? If, 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 if Charlie had remembered that, right, that, you know, that prescription should only come from your doctor and just call us, we'll get that for you. Um, right. That, that would be the difference right there. Um, but that is, I think right. that, that is, that is the, the, the conversation we must bring back. And we, you know, and, and families have been talking about that for years, but we need to make it a universal support for families of how to talk with your children about the simplest things that are in our home. Um, and uh, yeah, so yes, yes, so true, so true. And, and, and children, they'll listen and, um, and, they, they, they will, though, Ed, if we don't have, aren't always in a constant fear um, or, or just yeah. or just bring right. it in just when things get really, really bad. And then children get really scared and they get really concerned. Well, we do want them to be scared and concerned, Paul. So, you, Paul, you did the right thing because it was relevant at that moment to bring in those, that, that conversation and pop these things in and, and bring up big, big topics. But it's also good to have those everyday conversations. And, you know, if you talk to my kids you know, my, my girls are in their, their uh, mid and upper 20s right now. They'll tell you, mom can't drink iced tea afternoon. Well, for a reason, I, you know, I can't drink caffeine afternoon. I'll be up all night. Do you want me up all night? No, don't give me caffeine. You know, that's my body's reaction. And I've always joked about that with my kids and educated them about that piece. So, um, and it sounds so silly, but that's, that's the basis of it is having narrate out your world, narrate out what's happening to you and, and how the world works. Um, and have those conversations where we have to talk to our kids. We have to just talk, talk to them um, and not allow other people to be filling in those gaps. 
and educating our children um, by their friends and by their peers. And um, but the, the the piece that's scaring so many families right now um, is that the accessibility right to um, from the, the basic piece of um, laced Skittles, you know, things that look like Skittles that aren't Skittles, to gummy bears, to merit, you know, to gummy, to, you know, all these things are just so prevalent around homes these days, you know, um, you know, children are bringing them to school, children are bringing them to share at lunch. Um, what are they? And that, that's the other piece of, it's so hard, it's so difficult for families uh, to, you know, just to tell your child, don't take any food from anybody. That's a problem, right? How many times have we shared our lunches at school and say, oh, I'll give you the Oreo cookies for that. And this is a problem. And th this is, again, why months ago I did the whole education um, with, um, you know, with another organization, a local, to, to talk about what, what everyday drug items look like, right? They're not all the pills. Um, and they're not always a pill form for children um, or for adults. So um, that's another difficult piece as well. Um, right, talk about consent, and 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 then we talk about tricky people, and then we talk about you know you know kids bringing something to school that they didn't even know was laced with something, and and now it's being offered. And I, I think the piece that I shared before too was something I always told my children, um, you know, going to parties and to high school and all those events that went on. You know, never drink anything that anyone hands you. You take your own drink with you. You bring your own water with you. Water, right? <laughs> You bring your own drink with you, um, you know, and don't and don't be eating things at party. If you want something to eat, then bring something to eat, a, a clothes bag, and you eat it yourself, right? Be be aware, be aware of and why and why. And I told them why, right? They didn't want to hear it, but I told them why, um, you know. And you know, it's again the conversation and how early, you know, to this day, I think we have to have that conversation. That was my high school girls. We got to have this conversation at the lunch table with our young children that's that's the difference that's the difference and, and i think i think um <clears throat> that's where the sustainable solution comes from is to get the young people involved in the conversation and get them to own the solution uh and this is a big part of our message to young people is you didn't cause this problem there are things happening outside of your control that have have caused this this problem but you can solve it and so we, how do we create a mindset in our young people? And I use the roofie protect your drink uh, analogy sometimes because, you know, there weren't necessarily laws passed. That was a mindset uh, in society where word got around at a grassroots level. And now every single person of a certain generation knows you never leave your drink unattended in a bar. That's how we reduced the, that threat. And so if we can get our young people, and then it gets into tricky areas like snitching. So, yes. you know, when you, you mentioned it, Paul, like this is the, the threat is almost akin to, you know, somebody putting a gun in a backpack and bringing it to a school campus. Now, you would think that our children would know that if that was occurring, they would tell someone, mm -hmm. right? Right. But it, what do they do if they know if they have a friend or an, a, an acquaintance at school who they know is slinging these pills? How do we get them to say this is not acceptable behavior? Those pills are really dangerous. And that person may not, no matter who, what his dealer told him or her dealer told her, they don't know what's in there. And that's you, somehow you can't you can't you got to make that socially unacceptable in your peer group, kids. 
And, you know, we say our children learn what we teach them. We teach them to swim, not so they win gold medals, but so they don't drown. Mm -hmm. We teach mm -hmm. them look both ways before you cross the street. So how do we get no random pills to be just as automatic as look both ways among these young kids where somebody pulls a bag of pills at a party and the reaction is, whoa, wait a minute, what are you doing? Nobody does that, right? Don't you know? So, you know, how do we embed this at, at a young age in, in the next generation is that's the key to a, to the societal long-term change. Yeah. yeah. And, and Ed, I, they're, they're, I, I try to have these conversations with my kids all the time. And first off, I want to say congratulations on your sobriety. I know Thank from you. personal experience, it's, 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 it's a journey. Um, mm. And I, I'm so sorry for your son's um, death. That is, just seems so unfair. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. But uh, yeah, um, but about recovery in a way I feel lucky in the sense that, um, you know, I didn't intend to become addicted to alcohol. I liked it, I drank a lot of it. And then eventually and in a very insidious way it took hold, um, but I've led a sober life in front of my children. Um, they uh, they have seen that uh, my wife will consume alcohol very responsibly, which is something that I was not capable of doing, and that I do not consume alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, these are behaviors that we are fortunate to be in a situation to model without really having to try that hard. I mean, I work on my recovery, but um, yeah, Paul, not drinking... I What's can that? I can I ask? Have the boys asked why? Have the boys yes, ever asked you why? Why, they, Dad, why they, are you drinking a beer? Because they're old yeah, enough they, now they, to make they, that they clear observation. Yeah, yeah. They ask about Diet Coke. I we we're talking mm -hmm. about Diet Coke, and I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting here staring at a 64 ounce <laughs> big gulp of Diet Coke right now. I I use this stuff to uh, to uh, to to keep alert. But yeah, they they've asked about this, and um, I have a. Uh, um, one of my grandparents who um, I lived with as a young child, um, he died when he was 60 years old from alcoholism. Um, uh, they've asked about family histories, about what has happened. And I've been able to explain, frankly, what has happened without going into the age inappropriate details. Mm -hmm. um, and over time, they have asked more questions. They have visited his gravesite. Um, so I find just being honest with them has been a powerful educational tool in yeah. that regard. So true, so true. Boy, have I said that a million times. You know, teach our children why things happen, right? Deaths yeah. are really good piece, a good, a good understanding of life according to the age of that child, right? And why did someone die? Why did grandpa die? You know, mm -hmm. you, you know, you can tell them as a young child a certain thing, but as they grow every year, they have new understanding and base of life, right? And our children have questions over and over and over again, because every time they ask, it's hitting a new developmental piece in their life. And they will continue to ask that question. Hey, dad, when they're 14 and 15 and 16, you know, I'm kind of really thinking about grandpa and how he died. You know, that really makes, I get that now. I get, you know, and that's that family story or that communication that has to keep going. We've got to give children information so mm -hmm. they can learn from it, right? Yeah. Not, be, we, not, uh, not be blamed for it and not, you know, not, yes, but have understanding. Yes. Right. And we don't, we don't um, um, sort of sequester him away as some embarrassing family secret. Um, 
you know, I loved him very deeply and his death when I was a child still really, it haunts me. It's, 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 um, you know, my grandfather was the, the, the father figure in my life and yet he died of, um, his addiction consumed him. Um, so we, we, we have that part of, um, you know, I, you mentioned the whole why of this. Why are, are, are children increasingly turning to mind-altering substances? Not just mind-altering substances, but increasingly synthetic dangerous ones. Sure. sure. Um, because that's what's available. Um, you know, and in 2021, the CDC said there were 100,000 overdose deaths, almost all of them from synthetic opioids. This is, this is astounding. So when, when kids turn to substances to um, help themselves or the, how they see that as helping themselves, um, whereas when I was a kid, we had marijuana and our kids, of course, still have marijuana um, and, and, and something that's there that wasn't when I was a kid are these pills. Um, and I, I, so for me, the, the why has always been very urgent just because of my personal history with addiction. Um, so we have had ongoing conversations about that in my house. And that's just from our kids being really curious. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I have one child who never stops asking why, never stops asking why. So um, he knows that my grandfather, before he died, um, you know, I, how many beers was he drinking a day? And I said, well, between 35 and 50. You know, to a recovering alcoholic like me, that doesn't sound like an obscene amount, <laughs> you know, because that's eventually that, 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 that's know, a Wednesday. That that's a Wednesday. That's a Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but to my mm. son, that was, that was shocking. That was shocking. And I remember when I was a child, I thought, well, I'm never going to drink alcohol because my son killed my <clears> grandfather <throat> and I still drink a lot of alcohol. Um, and so it wasn't enough just to have some exposure to this without much of an explanation. So yeah. when it comes to addiction and substance use, I have sort of this open door um, uh, policy with my kids that if they want to talk about it and have questions, I will answer those questions fulsomely. Um, yeah. Well, and you're, you're dealing with genetics here too. You're dealing oh, with, I am. Yeah. You, you, you have to bring genetics into this picture too yeah. of, you know, we, we can't, we can't close our eyes to that one. I mean, and yeah. that's, you know, for you to take that on and, and as your battle, yeah, go, go for it, Paul, go for it. But yes. well, what I will say is that this is not with fentanyl now. And this is where I got very afraid in that conversation I had with my kids that really my wife steered and thank God she was there to steer it um, was because, you know, this is like one can of beer being a death sentence being a potential death sentence it says five percent alcohol on the can but what if it's actually a hundred percent alcohol i i mean that that just blows my mind and that's charlie right there ed i mean that's yeah that was that one that one one pill yeah Yeah. and 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 it, it just happens it's happening way way too often and we think that if we get the messaging right we focus on the younger people. If you look at drug substance use as a continuum where you start in your teens experimenting with things and then you, you move along the continuum of, uh, of settling into kind of your accommodation with substances, right? I drink black coffee. I don't like Diet Coke. 
Paul drinks Diet Coke to get his caffeine. Okay, that you know that's fine. We all come to, you know, everybody says I'm never drinking Jose Cuervo again. I'm sticking to red wine. So as we grow up, I think it's okay to tell our kids there's going to be this natural um, process that you go through where you will find out how your body reacts to things, and and you know along the way there are some warning signs. There are some things you have to be careful of. That's the old addiction narrative. You could one day become dependent. You might lose your job and your friends. It'll have a negative impact on you. And one day you may die of an accidental overdose. The difference now is young people are dying before, very, very early in that process, the first, second, or third time they experiment. And the gateway drug, the, the, the drugs that kids try for the first time very often are these pills that they think are safe and regulated and legitimate. That's right. So, you know, for us, it's kind of a, it's a public health warning and, and it makes it easier to take the moralizing out of it and say, this natural process you're going through, there's certain things out there that you really need to avoid. Um, and you really need to know where anything you put in your body comes from. Um, when you get to the, why are kids doing this? Social media is a big part of it. And it's also a big change in how people acquire drugs. And right. And so I think we can all attest to the fact that back in our day, if you wanted to go buy drugs and you showed up, some, first of all, you had to go in person and you had to show up and see somebody. And if, if you somebody brought you to the drug dealer's house, the drug dealer would go, who is that? You got to vouch for them. Right. And so but kids are very used to the anonymity of social media. And someone they've never met before, they feel comfortable spending $40 buying a pill from. That's something that we have to coach our kids around. Know who you're communicating on social media. You don't know this person. You don't know what they have. You don't know where what they have comes from. And, and then the other thing, if we want to explore the why of it, if you really get deep about it, I ask myself this question, how can it be that we live in you know the most prosperous society on in the world in you know the wealthiest time uh, in the planet's history and yet our young people are struggling so mightily mm -hmm. and and i believe that um that's a question that we all have to address i think the world's maybe gotten too big um we know that kids push boundaries and and if you take all the boundaries away from young people, they have nothing to push up against. And I feel, I feel like they right. get lost. Right. So I think kids right. feel the pressure of my generation has to fix climate change, end world war, fix world hunger, you know, end racism. And it's like, how do we get back to basics with our kids and say, yeah. you know, it's okay for your world to be this big, to take care of the people you love and to find something meaningful to do right in your own community. Um, and again, I'm rambling a little bit, but the me too of social media is really tough on these kids. Yes, They have yes. a lot going on up here. They're being bombarded by all kinds of information from all angles 24 seven. Well, and we have to acknowledge that that's part of the, that's what they're trying to escape from. Exactly. So how do we exactly. help them navigate this new matrix that we've 100%. created for them out there? hundred percent. And, and, you know, so many so many times I have leaned on my my 90 plus mother and asked her this question because you have got to go to that generation and say, mom, what, you know, what's what's different here? And she says, Meredith, listen to me. 
what's different here is you being bombarded 24 seven, exactly with all this information from around the world, not just our community, but from right. around the world. Things that you're hearing, we would have never heard, maybe in a newspaper months later, Paul, get that newspaper going again. Let's turn off the social media. This is, but we're being bombarded constantly. Think a look at the news constantly. Look at COVID. I can tell you, children, children thought that they were killing their parents and grandparents because they were the carrier of COVID. They were the ones that were spreading it. That's that's a real problem. That's a huge problem. Um, I'm still dealing with that one. Um, and there's still that guilt of, you know, I killed so many people because I was the carrier. Um, but but Paul, I, I, Paul and Ed, we've got to go back to the, something, you know, Ed, something you said, and I want to really give my two cents on this one. Um, yes, we go through natural experimentation. Everyone goes through natural experimentation of a lot of things, but it doesn't have to be drugs. It doesn't have to be alcohol. It doesn't have to be sex. It doesn't have to be food. It, it, it just is learning how to manage big emotions and feelings and challenging times and what to do. And that's where we are right now. How do we manage big thoughts, feelings, and emotions and help a family to, to support a child with limits and boundaries? And uh, I've had three sessions just this week of how to help my teenager, you know, turn off the social media and get back to, you know, it's up to, it's writing in October, you know, the parent-teacher conferences are coming in, my, mm -hmm. my children's grades are failing and they're not doing well. And, you know, the, they, 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 put me on this, this session with this teenager and the parents are sitting there. And the first question I asked the teenager is, how, how, what, what do you feel is going on here? What do you feel is, is the challenge? And the parents like, well, we know what the problem is. It's social media. Okay, well, let me ask the child, what do they think? What are they feeling? How are their grades? What, what are they struggling with? And the parents will speak up again. I said, no, I wanna hear from the child. And the, the kids will tell me, yeah, I'm really struggling with history and, and math and and, yeah, I'm using six hours of social media a day. And because when I get home, I, you know, no one's there to talk to me. No one's picking me up from school. Um, I don't know when dinner is going to be. I, I've got to get my, you know, there's just a lot of this, you know, talk about boundaries and limits and structure and what kids are looking for. And we don't want to overstructure, but we need to give them guidance. We need to be there. Um, and, you know, kids... Yeah, so I want to clarify that we don't, yeah, there should be that natural experimentation of a lot of things, but we don't always have to say, you've got to experiment with the drugs. That's that's normal teenage stuff. No, that isn't normal teenage stuff. We don't have to promote that either, right? So I'm going to say that out loud. We don't have to promote that. Right. You don't have to be a teenager and use alcohol and drugs to be a teenager. I'm going to say that out loud. Um, yes, it does happen, Ed. Yes, it does happen, Paul. Yes, it does happen, um, but we don't have to go that route. So it's again looking at, you know, what what are we leaning on in society? What are we leaning on? And what we're leaning on is the outside world telling us what to do, how to do it, and and you know the social media, the 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 Facebook, the Instagram, all those pieces. Um, and then what are we leaning on to? We're politicians, and we're leaning on the government. We're like, oh, wow, 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 I don't want to go there. I don't want to go. There. But there's just so much. What are we leaning on? Mm -hmm. And Ed, as you said, and Paul, we've got to lean on each other as 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 families, as our communities, right? Um, mm -hmm. We need to make communities. Um, you know, you both live very close to each other. I don't know if you realize how close you live to each other. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we all, all three of us live, but you know, we're all within this community. Um, and um, 
you know, we we have to we have to build within our start within our within our own families and our own community. Those boundaries, those limits, those expectations. But as Ed saying, we cannot threaten our children constantly. And when I talk with these kids this week and their parents, I'm not about threatening these children. Like we're going to take away your social media. We're, no, it's like let's talk about it. Let's do a give and take. This is something. This is their communication form. This is how they communicate with their friends. This is how they get their information. Yes, we can pull it back. Yes, it may be too much. Let's talk about it. Not threaten, not just yank things away. Right? It's the same thing when we had our, you know, Paul, when you, your children were young, you just don't walk up and take that toy out of their hand mm-hmm. or the scissors out of their hand because they're being dangerous. It's like, hey, say, hey, I'm going to stop you real quick. I'm going to hold your hand with those pair of scissors. We need to be careful here. Scissors are not to be walked around with, right? We just don't yank them out of their hands. And then say, hey, let's let let me take those scissors. Come sit at the table. You can use the scissors at the table, mm-hmm. right? But not walking around. And that's something, if anything, I teach parents, it's it's not about going around and scaring and yanking and yelling at our children. It's guiding them and stopping them and saying, hey, let me help you right now. Something's going on here. And that's where we are right now in society let's let us help you something's going on here and it's something's not right okay that's where we are right now with this fentanyl issue yeah not going around and blaming and and making it you know don't do this don't do it's like let us help you here we've got a problem right and that's what you're saying too we've got to find that that other way of reaching people reaching our kids we've got a problem here and you can be you can help with this you can help with this. And you're right. They are not the problem. Um, they they need to be, you know, it's the same thing when we had the, the you know, the shooters in the Parkland shooting mm-hmm. in Florida, you know, how those kids just rose and took up that, that cause, those kids that survived, right? They have taken on this cause and they are, they are not the problem. They are trying to, you know, teach their peers and, and support them and say, hey, we've got to do something here with mental health and with gun safety, right? Um, and that's where we have to do the same piece right now, right? You both agree? Yeah, yeah. Totally. And Mrs. Henry, I, I just wouldn't, I thank you for saying that so much. Um, I feel like I'm going to play that soliloquy to my children <laughs> uh, several times. Um, they don't have to turn to drugs. They don't have to do this. I, I think actually, you know, we talk about drugs being a natural uh, sort of experimentation in teenage years, which might be true for some people, but most kids I knew growing up, didn't do it yeah um yeah let's not let's not not normalize that that's my point no well yeah yeah and also i about your words about conversations with our children and how to talk about this when i wrote this all i wanted to do was write a piece on how parents relate to their children on this conveying how scared a lot of us are yeah and overwhelmingly the response to it was that how dare you not discuss open borders and Joe, all these other things, which we can have a conversation about later. But when you were talking about the problems of the world becoming sort of subsuming everything, I saw some of the reaction to what I wrote immediately turn it into this harsh political discussion as almost symptomatic of that. I just want to find a way to talk to my children about this. Yeah. And in this day and age, the reaction to that is to blow it up into this yeah. gigantic 
political debate. And well, it's, it's called deflection. It's, it's called deflection. deflection, but I, I want to just be able to talk to my kids about this yeah. and to yeah. do it without. And, and, that, and that's that saying, Paul, that you heard me say this, your wife yeah. has heard me say this. It's in our family, in our family, this is what it looks like. In our family, right. this is what we're going to talk about. In our family, this is how we're going to handle social media. In our family, this is what we we want you to know. That sentence is so powerful because it helps parents bring it back to, yeah, the world is telling me one thing. My neighbors are telling me one thing. My friends are telling me one thing. Their peers are doing something else. But what do I want from my family? Yeah. That's where it begins, right? And Ed did that. Ed educated his family also, right, about what his values are and what they believe in. His son made a, 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 a critical mistake, right? And it was just that one mistake. And as you're saying, Paul, too, I drank, I consumed, mm-hmm. but the, his mistake, you know, was so different, but it was still the same thing, right? It, it's it's all about where we are right now, what's yeah. available right? in our family. And I, uh, I'll pick up on your, your comment, Paul. Um, We've being in this world of um, this new fentanyl epidemic and speaking out about it. Uh, my wife Mary and I were very deliberately we chose the route of raising awareness and and just warning kids. And I think we all know from our parenting experiences that you know the solving never starts till the blaming stops. Mm-hmm. And the instinct to blame is very automatic. It's almost in our DNA. Um, and yet from having children, we know that until you get move, elevate the conversation above, well, he did this. No, she did it. No, she did it. Then you can't go, okay, now let's talk about what happened and let's see if we can prevent this problem from happening again. Mm-hmm. So we, we just stay away from the blame game. It's not fruitful. Um, and the more you look into the... Um, the problem, the more complex you understand that it is. And it, it's, yeah. it's the underlying issues of mental health and escapism and the why our kids are yeah. turning that is critical. Yeah. And a kind of a public health, I love you uh, because I love you. I need you to know about this risk that's out there so that you can make better decisions. That's where we make a difference. You know, that, that's, where the, that's where we turn the tide, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. And that's why I've always said, you know, connection before you correct, connect with your child before you correct them. If you don't connect with them, why would they want to listen to you? Why would they, you know, we got, I do love you. And I want you to know this because I love you, you know, connect with them, connect before you try to teach them and correct them about something. And that's, you know, that's, that's it. I mean, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Oh, um, Paul, do you have anything more? I want to ask Ed one more question, but Ed, Paul, do you have anything more you want to add in before we finish up the episode today? Uh, no, um, I, I'm, I, I feel like I've gained more from listening to <laughs> you, Ed, and Mrs. Henry talk about this. And um, Ed, I, I just want to say personally, thank you for turning your tragedy into something that benefits people like me. Um, that's, that's, I, I hope in all sincerity that I am never in your shoes, but if somehow that happens one day, I, I hope to be as, um, 
resolved as as you have been. Yeah, that's, um, that's really I, I I deeply admire your work. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. It's not something we wish on anyone else. Um, and we, what I say often is we wouldn't do this if we weren't hopeful on some level. And we really do believe that um, if kids understand that the relief they're looking for is not on social media, I'm starting to use this little line with kids that just like there's no chicken in a chicken McNugget, there's no Xanax on Snapchat, right? Um, if we I think a good, not all of them, we know nothing's 100%, but I think a good number of young people will change their behavior and avoid that risk just by saying, well, that's not what I want, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's where we're focusing. Well, and, and Ed, you said it again, uh, your, your sentences are so right on. It's that hope piece. Where is the hope? You know, we, we need to find some hope here. Um, and where, where, you know, where are we looking for hope? Where are our children looking for hope? Um, and I would like, can you share real quick though, you started a foundation, you started an organization. Could you just briefly give a little insight to that so parents can also uh, refer to that? It's a great, great website. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we, again, with our strategy of wanting to go directly to young people as much as we could, we formed a, a nonprofit charity we call Song for Charlie. The website is songforcharlie.org. It's really set up as a resource for parents and, right. and yeah. kids and educators and everyone. Yeah. Um, there's a, a page on there called Facts About Fentanyl, which does some fact checking and myth busting. Um, and we also have a very large social media footprint. So um, we've partnered with all the platforms um, and we have about 80,000 regular followers across five or six of the major platforms that we post twice a week. And we're just trying to get young people's attention and, and spread the word and, and engage them and hope that they will then tell their friends, hey, I heard about this stuff, man. I, that's let's make sure. This stuff. Yeah, that's right. That's they, right. They, they got to hear from all angles, as we know. Make right? it go viral. That's, that's the right. idea. So yeah. can you, I ask this, the, the song for chart, song for Charlie, song, what, what is yeah. the history on that? I, I'm yeah. curious. I'm curious. Oh, it's a, it's a lovely story. Um, Charlie's, um, kind of childhood friend and a young man that he looked up to very much uh, is a songwriter from right here in, in Pasadena. And it was a neighbor, you know, uh, one of the best friends of Charlie's older cousins, four or five years older than Charlie is. And uh, Charlie just admired him. And this guy um, made a couple records and Charlie would go see him perform live in clubs and on college campuses. And they, you know, they just became good friends. And when, when this young man, Jack Symes is his name, uh, heard of Charlie's death, he sat down and wrote a song um, the very next day, and it, he called it Song for Charlie. And it's a beautiful song. It's linked somewhere on our website. Right. And when Mary and I looked at each other and said, you know, we would like to find a way to maybe go tell kids about this problem. Um, we thought to ourselves, you know, what, a, you know, talk about kind of giving expression to our hopefulness, right? Yeah. What a great name for organization, right? Song for yeah. Charlie. Yeah, and uh, kind of reflects Charlie's love of art and song and music and movies and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's where that comes from. Can, Great can story. We, can I add it on and end the podcast today? Uh, to please do. Yeah, please recording. do. It's a lovely Thank song. Thank yeah, you. please we'll do. That. We will end the podcast today with that song. Um, and please go to Songs for Charlie, read Paul's article on LA Times, um, and let's keep this conversation going, please, for, for the hope uh, for our families and for our children. Thank you both. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you.
Thick skin, chubby cheeks Steam train on the driveway cold Forever little brother to me What I'd do to have your heart You saw yourself and everyone Forever hear you holler in the breeze Forever little brother Drink a day for 